0: from the Gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter, beginning with the 35th verse. Listen again for God's word. I forgot the children. (laughs) But Alan sets the precedent. He usually forgets the children, doesn't he? Excuse me, boys and girls. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. The other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This too is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Amid all the changing words of our generation, O God, we turn to your word, which is eternally true. We trust you for guidance and encouragement, for an answer to the storms of our lives and of our world. And I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm really extremely happy to be with you today Al and I have loved making our St. Simon's home here with you at St. Simon's Presbyterian Church. And since the renovation, what is this, our fourth Sunday in the sanctuary, every time I walk into this sacred, wonderful space, I say to myself, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This is a gladsome place. The spirit of God is alive here, and it's just wonderful to be here uh, with you this Sunday and every Sunday. This Sunday, however, seemed like a iffy possibility on Wednesday evening, uh, when after dinner, I decided that I needed to take our little French bulldog Lucky out for a walk. And Lucky was very interested in the walk, and he was prancing on down the street. And before I knew it, he pranced, and I didn't, and I fell flat on my face in the middle of Vassar Point Road. Um, it was a mess. Uh, no broken bones, but If you want to shake my hand up and see me up close today, you'll notice that it is not my week to enter a beauty contest. Uh, But thank you for understanding, and I'm just thankful to be here today. Um, Enough about that. I I recently read about a gathering of worship leaders and liturgical writers, people who put worship services and prayers together. They were having a, a meeting and They were talking about the year just passed, and one of their number jokingly said, well, how did your congregation make it through COVID-tide? As if that were a new liturgical season. Uh, Not not like uh, Christmas-tide, which is full of joy, or Easter-tide, which is full of hope and light. COVID-tide which encompassed all the liturgical seasons of the year and then started again on another liturgical year. The lights were off in the sanctuary, the choir didn't sing, the pews were empty. It was not a happy and great time. What had happened? The great international storm of COVID is what had happened and it did not come and go. It came and made itself at home for way too long. It's after effects are still lingering. And is there anyone here today who was not rocked by COVID in one way or another, whose life was not set ajar? And for so many, Perhaps many of you, COVID has brought suffering and unimaginable loss. My goodness, 600,000 Americans alone have lost their lives to COVID. It was a terrible, has been a terrible stormy time. I'm not going to go on. Um, I could name some of the winds that are still tossing us about the lingering effects of COVID, the worrisome worrisome, uh, evidence of climate change all around us, the rising crime rate in Atlanta, Lord have mercy. You're frightened to walk down the street, the crime wave there and in so many cities is rising. We have racial tensions that need to be addressed. We have Democrats who will no longer speak to their Republican friends and vice versa. It's hard to feel good about the United States of America with these kinds of chopping waters going on. Well, enough of that, enough of that. You did not come to church today to hear, ain't it awful? You already know that, don't you? We've got a lot of problems that face us as a society. And we have a lot of challenges that face us on a personal level, too. If you've been on this earth a while, you know that it's almost impossible to get smooth sailing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It simply is not going to happen. Life just does not work that way, does it? I personally would like a calm sea every day of the week. I really would like that. But I do not have the capacity to push back the tide of the sea of my life if it decides to rise up and threaten to swamp me. I do not have control over what happens to those I love. I cannot subdue the destructive forces that affect us personally, that affect the world that we live in. So we could be depressed, we could be frustrated, or, third choice, we can turn to our faith tradition and see if we can find some guidance and strength. I want you to take a deep breath and lift your right foot and step into the boat with Jesus and his disciples this morning. And as we get ready to set sail across the sea of Galilee, I want you to think with me. I'm going to give you four choices as to what this story is mainly about. A is it mainly about the sea and the storms of life? B is it about the disciples? C is it about Jesus? And D Is it about the miracle of the stilling of the storm? Or I'll even go further and add an E, other. You know, on quizzes, you know, you have A, B, C, and then you have other. That's sort of the default position this morning. There are good reasons why you'd choose any of them. The C causes today's life and death crisis in the first place, but then seas do that, don't they? Yeah, Have you ever been on a cruise ship and you get on board and you put your suitcase on your bed and before you know it, the captains insisted that you come out on the deck and spend an hour and a half working with your life jacket and telling you where the lifeboats are before you even get unpacked? The captain of the ship knows that smooth sailing is likely, but not determined. Bad things can happen on the sea. And something interesting you probably didn't know, and I didn't know it either until recently, that the Sea of Galilee is infamous for being a really rough sea. It has bruising waves. It often is full of storms. It's, it's notorious for its roughness. So everybody in that boat, including Jesus and the disciples, should not have expected smooth sailing. What's so interesting is that you remember in the calling of the disciples whom Jesus started with. He started with James and Simon Peter and Andrew and John, and what was their profession? They were fishermen. Every single one of them used to fishing, used to fishing even on the Sea of Galilee. And this crowd is really terrified, and if they're terrified, you know this is one killer of a storm that's come up. They're going to the other side of the sea, interestingly. Sort of a a side note, but I I, I don't want to skip it because they're going to a place called Genesaret, which is where the Gentiles live, people who've never uh, met this rabbi, this teacher, this healer. And he's going to the stranger's shore, a reminder to the church that God doesn't just love us God loves everybody. People like us and people who aren't like us. But the disciples who are in the boat, they don't give a hoot about the Gentiles on the other shore. What they become worried about when the wind rages and the waves are swamping the boat is whether they're going to make it to the shore or not. They don't care what the mission is. And so... They wake Jesus up and they say to him, don't you care about us? (laughs) The boat's sinking. What are you doing sleeping with your head on a cushion? I think that's a very rude question. (laughs) I mean, I hope I would have had the grace to say Lord, please help us. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't blame him. Don't you care? They just spent a lot of time with him, watching as he healed the sick. And raised the dead and taught like no other rabbi had ever taught and preached like no other preacher had ever preached. They'd never met anyone like him. The power of God, the presence of God in this human form, in this human being. And yet they still don't get him, do they? They say, Don't you love us? Don't you care whether we drown? And Jesus, of course, wakes up, stands up, says, Peace be still to the storm. He quiets the sea. And before you know it, the water is so calm that there is not even the hint of a breeze. And there's not even the lap of the water on the side of the boat. It was dead calm. The difference between Jesus and these who think they want to follow him is stark. He has spent all his time and all his energy helping people, living out the compassion of God, come, the Latin prefix for with, and passion feel, to, to, to empathize with, to care about, to help those who are suffering. Of course he wouldn't forget them. He's shown them nothing but compassion. But the human part of Jesus is tired. He is worn out. And he puts his head down and goes to sleep. He trusts who he is. He trusts his mission. He knows that he will need to do what he's come on earth to do. He is the very presence and power of God. It's not there's God and here's Jesus. This is God in the form of God's own son. That quiet confidence of his is what he brings to everything he does. And maybe you have to be God to have quiet confidence in every situation, but I do think you could do a little better than the the disciples did that day in the boat. Teacher, don't you care? He does care. Did you notice how when he got in the boat, the Mark tells us, he came just as he was. I love that. He didn't bring a magician's wand. He didn't bring a crown tucked in his robe, though he will turn out to be the Messiah, the king. He didn't bring the accoutrements of religious ritual. He came as he was because he is enough. He is everything. He's all we need. He's all we need. He's all they needed. The wind is not the only thing he rebukes. (laughs) He rebukes the disciples next, and he's mad. Didn't you think he was mad? Sounds like he's mad. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Implying, don't you remember what you've seen me do day after day after day after day? What you've heard me say day after day? Do you still have no faith? Now, I'd be the last one to question Jesus for that question. But I think he was a little bit off. Because they must have had a teeny little bit of faith or they wouldn't have waked him up and said, aren't you going to help us? Why won't you help us? You remember later on, Mark, he will, he will be with the disciples and they've just not gotten it again and again and again. They keep not getting who he is. And he says in frustration, look, you all, if you had the faith, faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move that mountain over there. At least they are reaching for something when they wake him up. Well, what they see, the miracle that they see, is revelation at its best. And I want to say that it's no accident that Mark tells the story twice. He not only stills this storm, but he stills another one two chapters later because they're still in a confused situation in their heads. But all the gospel writers talk about stilling the storm. And they do so as sort of a a consequence, really, of, of what they all knew from the Hebrew scriptures from the very beginning, what's the first story? In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, I'm reading Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, the earth was a formless void and the darkness covered the face of the deep while the wind of God swept across the face of the waters. And what did that wind do? That wind created order Out of chaos that's what God does God the first person of the Trinity God the Creator made order out of chaos and this is exactly what Jesus does that night on his way across the disorderly sea the miracle tells you that Jesus is no one less than God with us Emmanuel Confirmed that stormy night on the Sea of Galilee. I never noticed this before, and I've preached on this passage many times, but Jesus expresses his frustration with the block-headedness of his disciples, but he doesn't say, calm down, there's nothing to be afraid of. There are plenty of things to be afraid of. Jesus doesn't deny that at all. He wants to know why they are afraid with him right there in the boat with them. You know, sometimes we are afraid like the disciples with Jesus' own hand and present. But sometimes we just get afraid for no apparent reason. It's just fear that that shows up. I have a friend who talks about ha- getting the 3 a.m. terrors. He's gone to sleep, he's just fine, and then he's staring at the digital clock, those green numbers, 3 a.m. He's awake and worried to death, and he sort of thinks around, what is he exactly afraid of? He doesn't really know. He's just uneasy. He's he's just frightened. Is he having a heart attack? He checks his pulse, puts his hand over his heart. He decides to recite his social security number to make sure his Alzheimer's hadn't gotten ahead of him. (laughs) They tell a story in Texas about two little boys whose Mother asked them to chase a chicken snake out of the chicken house. Well, they looked for the snake, and they couldn't find the snake. The more they looked, the more frightened they became. And finally, they stood on their tiptoes to look on the nesting shelf and came nose to nose with the big, fat chicken snake. They fell all over themselves getting out of the hen house. Their mama said, don't you know a chicken snake can't hurt you? Yes, ma'am, one of them said. But there's some things that will scare you so bad you'll hurt yourself. (laughs) Some of our fears are unwarranted, but that's not to say all of them aren't. I remember learning long ago that you run from a lion, but you don't run from a bear. I think I've got that right, is that right? Thank goodness I've never had to do either. But let me ask you this. Have you ever experienced a miracle which Harry Emerson Fosdick defines as an unexpected possibility. Have you ever thought to yourself, I am not going to make it through this situation. There's no way I can live through this. I can't live if my mother dies. I can't stand it if my child gets sick. I, I, I can't handle this. And you know what you did? You handled it. Where did that come from? That's that strength that comes from another realm. I wish I could say that the disciples had a born-again experience that night after the storm was still, that their faith blossomed. It didn't. What they said was, you know, that was an awesome thing. I wonder who in the world this fellow really is. I wonder who he is. They still couldn't figure him out. And one thing they forgot was to say thank you. He saved their lives. But they have never said thank you. If you crawl out of this sanctuary today or any Sunday with your heart not full of gladness, not thankful that you have heard again about the goodness and power of God, not thankful that you have been reassured that there's nothing in heaven or on earth that can separate you from God's love, nothing, nothing ever, then shame on us. The seaman in the boat back in the psalm They had a crisis, they asked God for help, God provided that help, and they said thank you. They were glad, they were happy. Let's not ever forget to say thank you. Listen, God doesn't judge us for being fearful or anxious, whether we need to or not. If so, he would have gone back to the shore on the other side side they'd come from, and dumped the disciples out and called another band. But he didn't. He loved these people. He forgave them. He got it that they didn't get it. But that certainly would not mean any kind of abandonment. So what is it? What is it? A, the sea and the storm... B, the disciples, C, Jesus, D, the miracle, E, the other. Well, I know y'all chuckle, so it's kind of a trick thing. It's D and E. It's this miracle, the stilling of the storm, that pales in comparison to the big miracle, to the only miracle that makes the complete and ultimate difference. And that miracle took place. In Jerusalem, on a a hill called Golgotha, when God's great love and presence and power, all of it, was given up. And God's power revealed in suffering love, in giving God's own life for the salvation of the world. That's it, you all. That's the miracle. That's the miracle that changes everything. That's the... Death and resurrection of Christ put an end to death? No. But it tells us that death will not have the last word. It is through and beyond death that this saving power is released once and for all. We're humans. We're mortals. And mortals die. Only God is eternal. Even death itself is knocked in the teeth, knocked out forever in the eternal sense of things. So, the way I get it is that the greatest combination in the world is this God's strength and our weakness. Our faith that sometimes rises and sometimes sinks. But nothing depends on our faith. It all depends on God's faithfulness to us. I I loved Ethel Waters. You remember the great singer of spirituals and everything else. Her favorite song, which she sang again and again, was His Eyes on the Sparrow. And I know he's watching me. And she often told the story of the hymn writer who wrote the hymn. She had a friend, the hymn writer did, named Mr. Doolittle, who had had a very tragic and difficult life. He was unable to walk. He suffered Calamity after calamity after calamity. Decade upon decade. His sea was perennially tossed. So the hymn writer, his friend, asked him one day, Mr. Doolittle, you've got to tell me, what's your secret? And Mr. Doolittle smiled and said, his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. This love and care of God, it's not just like a big blanket that covers all of creation. It's about a God whose love for you never fails whose eye is on you. And you are never alone. And don't you ever, ever forget it.